Hey you. Yes, I mean you, dear listener. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this Warui Desho podcast. We're so happy to have the pleasure of your company today. If you've listened to us before and like our show, you might be wondering how you could support us, since we won't take your money. This podcast will continue to be free, but if you'd like to show your appreciation, please consider leaving us a rating and review on iTunes, as those help our discoverability. If you don't use iTunes, that's fine too. You can follow us and like and share our content on SoundCloud, YouTube, and Twitter. Additionally, we love getting your feedback, positive or negative. Tweet us at Show or email us at waterwaydeshow at gmail.com. Whether or not it gets read on the show, I can assure you, we all read every tweet and email you send us. And once again, dear listener, we thank you so much. Now please, enjoy the show. Hello, everyone. Welcome, ladies, gentlemen, and envies to Watery Desho Stream of Thought, covering a darling in the Franks. This is episode twenty-three, D- darling, darling in the F- Franks. We had had another episode called that. Why are they? Why are they doing this? Why are they doing this? Uh, subtle doctor here. I was. Visited by the spirit of Danny from Anime is Lit last night because, like him, uh, most nights I couldn't sleep at all last night. So, no idea what this podcast is going to be like for me. Don't usually do it on no sleep, but uh, well, here we are. And uh, along for the ride with me is uh, the uh, the flexible, the saucy the clairvoyant shadon ahoy shadon <laughs> i would be happy being flexible and saucy but not clairvoyant not when it comes to this i don't like to be right i don't want to... <laughs> just <laughs> for fuck's sake oh my god i mean you said before doc why why are you doing this like that is the show's like messy in general that's the show's general trend like why are they doing this why why would they do such a thing i don't know just think of the vine the when the kid gets hit with the shoe (laughs) i can't believe you've done this like that's me to you trigger to you nishigori to you now takahayashi after this episode i really should have come to this conclusion a long time ago folks but I think it's Alex Kurtzman and Scott Orsini, or Robert Orsini, I can't remember the bloody names of the writers. They're the two chuckle nuts who did the Transformers films under Michael Bay, and also did such classics as Gone Fishing. Uh, and they did the, the modern <laughs> Star Trek reboots as well. Uh, two idiots who would not know, you know, if they tried to write sci-fi, they put Phi Psi instead, because they do it backwards. And by God, Nishigori and um, Naotaka, like, 
they are the Japanese anime equivalent of this point because this is some of the most ridiculous, nonsensical, ill-plotted bollocks I have ever had the displeasure of watching. I... <laughs> and the worst part of it is, like, in the previous cast we did, I asked numerous times questions like, okay, why not taking the body with me? What the fuck are the nights? Like, all that stuff. And we got answers this time, and I literally feel like this show is trolling me at this point. I feel like Nishigori must be listening to this fucking podcast, and he's just there shaking his head, and he's like, right, I'm going to piss off the ball one. <laughs> I've got, like, I swear this is personal now. I swear this feels personal. Just fuck my life, man. Oh, Franks. Franks will tear you apart <laughs> again. <laughs> It's as depressing as Joy Division, that's for sure. Mm-hmm. Uh, agreed. So, let's get into it, I suppose. Can't put this off any longer. So here we go. Darling in the Franks. Dash Darling in the Franks. Subparagraph 2, section 49. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Franks 2. Franks harder. Etc. Mm-hmm. Right. So... Let's talk director, let's talk screenwriter. Uh, directing this episode is Yoshihiro Miyajima. And Miyajima has directed two previous episodes of this series. Episode 12, called The Garden Where It All Began, which uh, Naotaka Hayashi was the writer for that one, and is the writer of episode 23 as well. And wouldn't you know it, Miyajima directed episode six, also called Darling in the Franks, also <laughs> written by Naotaka Hayashi. Like, what are are they just bad at coming up with episode? I don't I don't understand why two episodes of the show are called the title of the show. I mean, that's just I don't I don't understand it. I mean, I don't I don't really see like some sort of deep significance. I feel like it's just like phoning it in, <laughs> phoning it in it shows a lack of imagination which really you know is pretty symptomatic of this episode and their writing in general <laughs> so miyajima just to uh refresh is a trigger lifer their cv starts and ends with trigger productions uh they've done production advancement for kill kill and i didn't I actually didn't know trigger worked on the uh patima inverted film but whatever work they did uh Miyajima was a production advancement assistant. Um, well, I guess, so Sword Art Online, I'm not sure if Trigger did, like, you know, side stuff or ancillary things with it, but production advancement once again for an episode of that. We mentioned Miyajima's Frank's episodes. Uh, they also directed um, five episodes of the Little Witch Academia TV show, which I'm, like, literally gobsmacked by mm-hmm. because... The Franks episodes have been very underwhelming. <laughs> and then I directed three episodes of, speaking of underwhelming, <laughs> the follow-up to Kill the Kill, When Supernatural Battles Become Commonplace. Ooh, there's a, that's a, that's a, a disappointment punch to the groin right there, that show, <laughs> after Kill the Kill. For me, anyway, I should stress. That's, I know some people are kind of like that show, and that's cool. Uh, I understand. So... The opening scene has uh, Kokoro, and she's having an internal monologue. And she and Mitsuru, of course, are staying behind 
while the rest of the crew goes to fight Zavelm mm-hmm. uh, in space. Mitsuru talks about this notion of responsibility, like that's why he's staying, because Kokoro is very much pushing him away. Like, you didn't have to stay. You know, I told you, he's like, it's my responsibility. And then, you know, he's going to see it through. Mm-hmm. And then OP. Yep. Uh, there's a line here, by the way, that Hero throws out because we actually get a brief flashback to like the That's end, right. the end of like you know the scene where they're on the bridge, and he says, "You've chosen this battlefield, huh?" And I'm like, "What? What battle? What? What the fuck are you talking? What? What battlefield? There's no fight here." Like, okay, I'll spoil ahead of time. The battlefield that Hero is referring to in the most obtuse fucking manner imaginable is actually, you know, Mitsuru Koko trying to figure out where their relationship is, but. Everyone speaks about it in this episode like it's the most abstract thing as opposed to they just need time to talk. What the f- Who wrote this dialogue? Uh, I think it was uh, Pat Benatar. <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> Love is a battlefield, Shadon. That's that's the battle they've chosen. Oh my Because they are God. young. My and heartache to heartache, they stand. <laughs> no promises, no demands. Love is indeed a battlefield. That's actually a very compelling argument as to why they all talk like that. <laughs> oh my god. But Frank's, uh, Werner was like a big Pat Benatar fan, and he just happened to be listening to that song a lot while conditioning them. Oh, and god. so it seeped into their subconscious. This is my headcanon. That would, this would make the show good, though, so we know it's not true. Or better. Yeah. It would improve it. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I don't get... Pff, fuck. Like... <laughs> We'll get to the whole Mitsuru and Kokoro thing later, but uh, yes. if you're if you're expecting any sort of actual, you know, fighting involvement, like you know, any sort of like couples argument kind of thing, or even any sort of genuine drama out of it, eh, eh, ain't happening. Nope. This is Darling the Franks, baby, and it's just you know plain you know flavorless all the way through. <laughs> it's the ready salted, uh... <laughs> you know, the plain tortilla chips. I know. So, like, I guess, I guess, seriously, talking about it, like, you know, <laughs> making a making a life with her on an Earth that is like basically dying. You know, they're fighting against starvation. They're fighting against extinction. They're fighting against their own like memory loss, and mm-hmm. you know, they're committing to rape. So, it's like an emotional battle, I guess. You know, it's not the craziest thing in the world. It's just I couldn't help but think of that dumb song when yeah, they fucking kept talking about it. Yeah, I, I get what you mean, but this is coming from, like, then again, Hero, you know, for some reason is a big reader of fucking philosophy, so I'm not surprised that he's talking about it like this. Like, <laughs> Jesus Christ. And he's one of the smartest, dumbest characters I have ever seen in fiction. Holy shit. Um, speaking of dumb, I'm going to get a nitpick um, right now, because just to follow up what you said about, you know, fighting against severability. Do you recall the plan that, you know, uh, Goro and uh, Hachi came up with to go to get Misselheim dirt and, like, you know, start tilling that over? Mm-hmm. Uh, why mm-hmm. are the kids still plowing the fields that don't grow food? <laughs> Maybe they did it off screen. A whole bunch of shit happened off screen this episode, so... <laughs> like the actual plot? Put, the know. drama? Yeah, like so much stuff. Yes. Like, just like, so after the OP, we're in space, Shadon. Da, 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 da. <laughs> like, the Klaxosaur mothership. 
appears and the Franks themselves are flying around talking to each other. And they just are. Yeah. You know, because and the kids seem to be quite fine with it. Like they're very oh. much like it's cool, like we love this. You know, it's it'd be one thing if they didn't ever t- if they didn't mention it. You know, I guess you could assume okay, like they've been in space for a while or some time has passed and they've gotten used to it. But they're very much like, yeah, this is rad. Like, we can move freely. So it just kind of happens. Mm-hmm. And then Hachi and Nana sort of hand wave explain it. You know, it cuts <laughs> to them in the in the ship, and they're like, oh, you know, what if Hero was right? What if the Klaxosaurus did leave all this for us? Because, you know, they wanted us to uh, be allowed to participate in the fight for the planet Earth. So, yeah, apparently, like, the ship contained all the gear for the robots to move around and fly in space mm-hmm. without uh, without trouble. And, uh, <laughs> boy, okay, sure. Honestly, I get the impression that Nishigori and his fellow, like, head cabal of writers in whatever, you know, dark, cramped, piss-stained room that they do this shit in, like, they would claim outright that if something was on fire, it would like, you know, don't look, this is not burning down, this is not, you know, collapsing all around us, nothing to see here. Like, if they'd not addressed it, I would have actually been better with it. Keep it unexplained, but then they have to throw in this most token nonsensical bullshit ever. Like, the most boring explanation for, yeah. Yeah, uh, okay, questions then. Let's ask, let's, let's nitpick. I mean, I know I said I didn't want to nitpick, but fuck it, this show, <laughs> this show is just throwing at me. Like, you can't ask you can't put low-hanging fruit like this in front of me and expect me not to, you know, fucking squeeze the juice out. Like, this is fucking prime targets. So, okay, let's fucking go. First thing, how the flying fucking hell did Sarah Kerrigan know that this was going to happen? She wanted to win that fight, you know, against our heroes to go get the star and see back. If they'd have got yeah. in the way, she'd have killed them all. Or tried to kill them all. Is her... Her backup plan. She's playing 4D chess. It's plan D- H. <laughs> like, it, are Sarah Kerrigan and Dr. Frank's trying to have you look like some sort of little, like, I died and now I'm going to, like, lay, like, backup plans <gasps> in my, like, after I've gone? Yes. Like, what the <laughs> It's a competition. They... They're one-upping each other from beyond the grave. <laughs> Those two rarely were made for each other because they're both as fucking rock stupid as each other and still somehow accomplish what they need to do despite logic and common sense. There's a couple instances in this episode of um things happening and I'm like wait a minute. Like this is goes entirely against what's already been established and this this is one of them like this you know she, she I understand in the previous episode Sarah Kerrigan having like a change of heart and seeing like oh humanity. Like I see the love and I understand that there's a different way to live so I'm going to try to give you a little push and and help you out. But to say that she planned for this long term is like just utterly entirely ridiculous. No, they no. The writers sure as shit didn't plan for this long term. We know this. This is like if I had yeah. to present in a court of law, like if fucking Nishigori like came down with his, you know, like DMCA shit or like, you know, cease and desist and I was asked in a court of law to prove how many ways that they phone this fucking bollocks in? I could throw out at least ten binds of it, and they just keep doing it. 
I mean, okay, here's another question for you. And again, this is really nitpicky, but you might recall that I said previously that the star ends, you know, if Sarah Kerrigan had that, why didn't she blow up all the plantation? She should have won easily. Now, I'll be fair, maybe, you know, like, she couldn't activate it. Like, there's a couple of hand-wavy different excuses you can make for this. How in the flying blue fucking Klaxosaur fuck do you actually hand-wave away the gigantic Klaxosaur fleet that she's got? Or had, before she died? Like, I know. How, like, how did she ever lose, or was losing, this war? I don't understand why they weren't activated beforehand. I, I guess, I mean, I guess you could, like, cobble together an argument that was like, well, you know, she's saving all the big guns for the Verm invasion and trying to take out humanity with as little resources as possible to kind of min-max her, like, resources and fighting force. I guess. They sh- honestly, she should have curb stomped him. There's, I... <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, by the very merit of the fact that Franks is cannot get into space, they cannot fight back against the Klaxosaurs if they just bomb them from orbit. This is, this is the, yeah, this is like the monster of the week problem. Like, the main villain always throws the kitchen sink at the heroes later on. And you're like, why didn't you bring all this force at once earlier? Why did you only throw one at a time at them, allowing them to gain experience and rest between battles? You fools. Yep. I mean, honestly, Sarah Kerrigan is barely any better than Risa Repulsa from Power Rangers. (laughs) Thank you. Yes. Barely. Barely. And, okay, I'm not done. I'm not done because this, this episode is like falling down a cliff you know, a cliff face into jagged rocks. Every every time you bang your head, every every second that passes, you just get more brain damage. The next bloody scene. Yeah. Okay. So the nines are joining in on this as well. They're in on this. Okay. Where do I begin with this shit? They're just there. They're just ah. Why do they not? Why do those happen off screen? Why? I don't know. But I have to ask this question, all right? Because, again, being a nitpicky arsehole because I'm fucking done with this show. But, okay, the nineses are... Oh, the nines, nineses, nineses, whatever you want to call I don't know. I'm getting, getting tongue tied because I'm getting mad already. But the nines, right? They're flying... They're custom Franks in space. Does it look like they've got any of the special equipment that, you know, the others have got to fly around in? Nope. Nah. Nah. Don't need it. The regular kids' Franks like... They now have, like, spiffy new paint jobs, so they do look different. Like, it's not just literally they can do it. So I at least appreciate the animators and the visual designers taking the time to at least have some, you know, difference that you can point to in how they look. Never mind, the, the actual explanation doesn't fucking work. This, th- this way, they can sell more model kits. I know! Just put, put them out, the same ones you already did, except different colors. Yep, you can just buy. Call it space. Franks. <laughs> you can indeed buy a, a Delphinium space model for ninety dollars. I would expect. Oh yeah, it would be it would be super expensive, and all it is is a black paint job. Cool, fan. Yeah, it may be like a like a like a red and blue kind of thruster like thing you can stick on the feet. Like, oh look, the colors. The most expensive LEDs ever invented. <laughs> <laughs> or just like crappy plastic flames. 
<laughs> who knows? Who knows? I will at least give credit for this, though. Like, the red and blue thing has been a motif of the show for a long time. Like, it's been in the OPs, for mm-hmm. example. So, I'll allow that coming back. That's a nice, you know, little yep. thing there. The boy color and the girl color together. Indeed. In one robot. Mm-hmm. Speaking of which... <laughs> Fucking right! I asked. I've asked so many times in this show. How do the nines fucking do this shit? Like you know where they where Alpha can be in that you know the statement position or the piss whatever the I don't like fuck the flower. I don't care anymore. Right? How can how can <laughs> they how can he do that? Yeah, he's a he's the pistol, but but how? But apparently, it turns out the nines can be both. They can do either. So I'm going to ask again what I asked previously. Why is not every single kid a nine? Because that seems like it would be very useful. I mean, if mm-hmm. some of your squad get injured, it means you can mix and match more easily because you don't have the gender restriction in place. And then I have to ask the more nasty stuff. Does that mean the nines are hermaphrodites? Or do they have sexual organs of both? Because they can, in theory, because they're supposedly clones, quote-unquote. I don't think Nishigori or the writer of this episode understand what the word clone means, but they can, you know, <laughs> slot in terms like telomeres and stuff like that accurately, so I don't fucking get this. So, okay, if they're supposedly clones of Zero Two, they would only be girls, but nine is definitely a boy. I don't know, but... <laughs> so, okay, let's just, let's just, let me just come out of this and say it right. The nines have been the villains for so long... And the only explanation I have left at this point is that they are indeed, you know, hermaphrodites. They have both sets of sexual organs. That's the only thing I've got for explaining how they can pull this off. Not that they're Klaxosaurs. We're done. We're done. I'm done hand-waving away with Klaxosaurs, especially. If the show felt it was that important to, you know, not have this fucking stupid, offensive gender politics in it, it would have actually taken the time, you know, to actually explain that it is literally because they're just Klaxosaur hybrids. But it hasn't bothered to do that, so I'm going to actually go on to, you know, say, right, the optics of this are fucking atrocious. You mean tell me that the only set of truly antagonistic characters we've had have been the ones who have not been cishet? It would it would appear that way. I mean, they <clears throat> they turned out not to be antagonists in the end, but... Oh, well, whoop-de-fuck-a-de-fuck-a-de-doo. I know, they're, they're the only, like, real, like, tangible antagonists the show has had the verm are the final fantasy 9 final boss i mean oh necron yeah (laughs) who the fuck cares (laughs) who fucking cares like but yeah i mean please somebody like you know with cited examples um tweet us at what are we death show or email us at gmail what are we death show at gmail and like explain the nines Please, because I I also don't get it. The show scrambled my brain about about this and several other of its you know sci-fi concepts. They're just so mushy and not clearly things aren't clearly delineated. Uh, maybe I'm just simple and I need it spelled out for me, but I would like that. So help me out, please. Yes, please. I I would plead the same. I like Lindsay Ellis. Um. Shouts to Lindsay Ellis. Yeah, she's she's awesome. All of the stuff's mm-hmm. awesome. She did a video on Bright. Uh, Netflix is, you know, orcs and human, like orcs in the urban hood kind of f- film. And she said a phrase in it, which I felt was quite telling, um, in that Bright could have just been a dumb, silly, buddy cop movie. And then, it, and then, to quote her, she said, but then it had to make itself about race. 
Now, that's not Frank's. Frank's is not about race. Thank fucking Christ for that. Whew. <laughs> just imagining what the show would be like beside getting into racial politics. Just. <sighs> I am Zen. I am Khan. For now, <laughs> I must manifest my rage appropriately. But the point I'm trying to make here is that Frank's could have been a dumb, silly action show. And then it had to throw in the gender shit. And then it had to do it in such a way that either... I mean, it manages to be both A, incompetently risked as far as its gender politics go, in that, like with the nines, it doesn't explain shit and therefore the optics of it are terrible. Or it then has to do the stuff like with, you know, the kids of the future thing and therefore be exclusionary. Deliberately. Like, there's no way that's not been deliberate. So, I don't know how, they do, how they've done it. They've managed to both be intentionally, you know assholes, you know, towards you know, LGBT plus groups and they've also managed to, you know ignorantly, stumblingly do it as well, like, that that's impressive, that is really, really impressive, I must say in, you know, like, an impressive way of someone managing to, you know, to wear their pants on their head and not get run over when crossing the street <laughs> just, fuck this <laughs> fucking <laughs> show I, uh, can I ask an unrelated question? You may ask me any question you wish, Doc uh, no, but if you want to ask me, have I put my pants well, on my head and actually crossed the well, street at any point? Uh, I have mm, not. Mm. Uh, why are they called parasites again? <laughs> I'm opening a bottle of vodka. Because <laughs> I genuinely couldn't remember. There's a scene later. <laughs> I'm, su- I'm sure that... Um, I'm sure that- uh, Emily could explain, so I imagine it's probably flower-related. Yeah, I mean, I guess, like, that they have a parasitic relationship with the robot or with each other? Hero does. Like, I suppose I it's an accurate terminology for him. He's, well, he's yes, he's an actual parasite, not in their dumb scientific babble. He's just a parasite. But, like, yeah, I just, when she's later, like, crying in the rain holding her stomach, saying, I'm not a parasite anymore. I was sort of like, what does that even mean? Like, why? Because I, I don't, like, thematically, I guess I don't understand, or or, or in terms of, like, the, the scientific structure, quote-unquote scientific structure of, like, how shit works in Franks. Like, why parasites? Um, I'm sure that Emily mentioned it, or that we talked about it, or it was made clear, but I've just... So much other bullshit is going on that I just cannot remember. And I was like, well, are they trying to say by cutting to the baby that the baby is a parasite on the mom? Like, that there's some kind of that kind of relationship there? That's, I don't know. So, yeah, we talked about Hero and Alpha being connected out of the blue. And that just being a thing that really happened off screen and they just kind of chat. Like, another... There's just several of like huge things that could have been shown in episodes if they hadn't wasted their time before. Here's a thought. Here's here's an idea for you how they might avoid to actually do this. And this is just popped spread randomly. Bear with me on this because this is going to sound like the worst thing imaginable possible. Just just hear me out, okay? So some of the nines, I believe, are female. Am I wrong? Do you, interrupt me at any point if I'm starting to chat nonsense here, Doc. They, I mean, sir, I, they present that way to me, to my eye. Yeah. 
Can you name a character from our heroes who has been very upset about the fact that they've not been able to pilot, you know, with the love of their life, you know, because of the fact they're the same gender? Uh, oh yeah, I mean... What if, know. what if in a different universe, in a different script, that, you know, maybe the Nines were not portrayed so fucking terribly, and maybe what if, you know, Ikuno found out this little factoid that they can be whatever way they want to be, and maybe that's form some source of friendship from there. I don't fucking know. Like, this is the thing about the Nines being both the Pistols and Stains. It doesn't mean anything. As far as the gender politics go, it's irrelevant apart from making the show look really wretched. And yet, just by that suggestion I came up, then literally this moment, out of the fucking blue. So don't tell me that they're making this shit up as the sh- as the as the story goes on. <clears throat> I came up with this out of nowhere. Yes, that is arrogant of me to say, but I'm so fucking done in trying to talk nicely to this piece of shit show. So you'll forgive me if I indulge myself, right? But yeah, if I can literally right. think that up right there and then as to how you can change this into being something useful to establish on a previously you know brought up character point about the one lesbian character you've got in there, why the fuck can Nishigori not do that? This man's actually paid a fucking wage for it. <laughs> Man, I. It sure does feel like they just f- forgot to give a reason for it because it was like, you know, the big reveal earlier in the show of Alpha 9 in the pistol seat. And it was like they were, you could just see the the staff going, ooh, look at this, so mysterious. It's like, oh shit, we have a mystery. All right, I'm going to pass it to the next episode director. Okay, I'm going to pass it to the next episode director. All right, let's pass it to the head creative. And, like, they just, no one, no one tied up the loose end of why it was the case. Mm-hmm. It's ridiculous. It's, and so glaring. But, I mean, I guess it's just because, like, they just ultimately didn't care about the nines because, you know, skipping ahead, uh, they all die. Like, they just throw their lives away and ultimately end up affecting the story in, Basically, no way at all. No, nope. apart from being jerks and uh, making a couple speeches, like other characters could have done that. There was uh-huh. they just, no ulti- no ultimate point in the story. What a waste! What a waste of my goddamn time. Those characters. Yeah, I made the apologetic suggestion that you know previously that the nines like because they were dying that you know they were betrayed by their biology because they were created the way they were to you know, so essentially fall apart. So if they ever went rogue, of course, you know, they, they couldn't be looked after. They would, you know, just, they would just cease to cease to be outside. So mm-hmm. if they wanted to do something with that, I'd have actually finally been on board with it. Yeah, there was that. I I remember I posited after, you know, Papa and the Council of Robo Bishops revealed that they were traitors. Like if, you know, they're now warriors without a purpose. And so they just kind of went, like became mad dogs and went rogue killing mm-hmm. indiscriminately and had to be found and put down by our heroes sort of sorrowfully, you know, because they were presumably on the same side. That would have been interesting to me too. But it's just nothing, nothing. They could have done so much with that, like, you know, with them having limited time left. I mean, mm-hmm. I brought Blade Runner before in this stream of thought series. I'll do it again. Do, do you remember? Do you fucking remember the, you know, scene? With Rutger Hauer's character releasing doves on the rooftop as he dies because his natural, you know, pre-designed I mean, lifespan runs out. Yes, I mean, Iconic. I mean, okay, yes. If they'd done something like that with the knives, that then people would have pointed out, well, that's like Blade Runner. They're just ripping it off. But you know what? I would settle for this show ripping. Oh my god! 
I, I walked right into that one. I walked no. so hard into that one. No! Don't. Um, I, don't. I can't believe I just did that. That was entirely unintentional. They can't even rip things off in a satisfying way. Uh, okay, you, you all got where I was going with that. And I'm just going to move on now. Because okay. I feel like... <laughs> I just feel like burying my head in my hands. Be careful what you wish for. Uh-huh. Uh, so Hachi, uh, Hachi, god-tier hacker, he's mastered the computer systems in the ship. It's mostly automated. For some reason. For his, for, <laughs> which, like, what a yes. hand-wavy things to say. He can move shit around on the interface. Um, You know, and he's talking to Nana, Kokoro's talking to Zero Two. They kind of cut back and forth a little bit. And this scene I found uh, interesting because I think in this scene, this is a scene where the the show shows its hand in a strong way um, in terms of it, the kind of newest theme that it wants to lean into. I described this to you off pod as a, the show kind of is hopping to different thematic lily pads mm-hmm. and uh, it's making for a rather incoherent viewing experience, but the the theme that they're on now i think is a like it runs counter to the the ending of the evangelion tv series because you have the verm i think they've been kind of working on this one since probably the wedding i'll say mm-hmm. and this is i i want to say this is part of why they had the memories of kokoro and mitsuru erased uh the verm want to of course assimilate everything they want all uh, non the non material parts of beings to converge with them and exist in a sort of blobby utopia, like all the consciousnesses is, is, is will be melded together. Mm-hmm. Uh, also, continually evolving somehow. And again, not sure what that means. I mean, I, what I think that means is that the the entire entity known as the Verm, like super consciousness, will keep evolving. I don't think individual. I think there won't be any individuals, really. Nope. And so you have this entity kind of positioned as the bad guy. And I think, so Nana is saying in this scene with Hachi that she's like, oh, for some reason, uh, I don't want the kids to hurt anymore. Now, like, she still, she feels that responsibility to the kids, despite having no no memories, nothing in her mind is, I guess it may be subconsciously, but she doesn't have any memories, right, of caring for the kids, and yet she still feels a connection. So there's some kind of person-to-person connection that's not dependent on your psyche, on your memories. And if you tie this to Mitsuru, uh, Mitsuru feels a moral obligation and later on he says reason to live um to his unborn child and to Kokoro even though like everything their entire relationship is gone now from his memory is not there that sense of moral obligation transcends the the memories and so I think here the show is saying that we're more than just our memories. We're more than just our our minds or psyches. And that if we can form these connections and these moral obligations that supersede what's like just contained in our memories, 
I think the show is saying that there's something like fundamental about humans as minds incarnated in physical bodies and that human existence can't be reduced down to just a bodiless floating mind. And this is very much my reading, very much me extrapolating from some text in the show. But but yeah, I feel like this is like kind of, again, anti-Eva ending, which I think is all, which I read as about convergence uh, and anti-transhuman, which is about like, uh, you know, broadly speaking, transhumanism it is like freeing the mind from the constraints of the physical body. And so... Yeah, I think Franks is leaning hard into like, no, you know, life, human life as embodied individual consciousnesses is important and is good and is like correct uh, as opposed to a bodiless mind or sort of mental like the the human instrumentality project from Ava. Mm -hmm. so i think this is what they're leaning into and while it may be really interesting like it's not a payoff to me from what the show has said and done before it's just kind of what they're doing now they just started doing something different so it doesn't feel satisfying it doesn't feel like a culmination of anything that the show has has presented Mm -hmm. you know it feels very detached from all the gender stuff yeah i would i will say that there have been a lot of instances throughout the show of, you know, our heroes acting with individuality. Like, the various, you know, the boys' ex-girls episodes, the beach stuff, like, they've been doing stuff that's run against the grain of all the other teams. So, there is probably more meat to that idea than you might be giving it credit for. But, I do have to say that if that is the case, it really does not help that, unfortunately... <laughs> Again, I'm going back to this old point that I just cannot keep, you know, hammering the nails into this show's coffin about. It really would help in that case, then, if the show did not walk back, you know, the idea of individuality as far as protests of, you know, bad behaviour go. And, you know, not having one character's actions never, ever be called into question, and when they are, then have them be rolled back again. Yeah. I mean... If there was, like, I mean, like, you know, the thing about being individuals is that, yeah, you know, we will have those moments of, like, you know, our own personalities and the way we dress ourselves. I mean, even with the Franks, is like, you know, our heroes have their own unique looks to their robots as opposed to the others, which are all monochrome. So there's that. But it really also would help then if we actually had proper family arguments and proper, you know, conflicts. Conflicts, as I've said before, is what drives drama. And it would actually gel with the theme you know, that everyone feels differently about topics. They've even kind of had that sort of with, you know, Zorame's own, you know, reversal back to, you know, being all about Papa very briefly. So that was all well and good. But then, of course, we have Hero who can do no wrong. So, no. Like, I I, I would love it if that was the case, that this show was going to do that. And, you know, it did dress down its characters when they fucked up, but it doesn't. It certainly doesn't with its protagonists, especially as we'll see soon enough. I'll digress briefly and ask you, like, so have you seen Fight Club? Yes. Do you think that uh, the Edward Norton character is responsible for what the Brad Pitt character does? This is massive spoilers for Fight Club, by the way, if you haven't seen it. We should be talking about it. We know this. Come on, Doc. Do you think think he, he bears responsibility for what the Brad Pitt character does? I'm going to go with no. 
because it's pretty textually a split personality thing. Now, that being said, he absolutely does bear responsibility for what he does as the Edward Norton character. Like, for example, when he frames his co-worker in the office, you know, by beating himself up. Yes. yes. Or when he's jerking off into... Well, I don't know if that was him or the tile doing, but when he's, you know, jerking off into the chowder. So, as far as I'm concerned, though, if it is a different personality, they should be. And I have a feeling where you're going with this, which is to say that because Hero's had his brain wiped at least twice now... Or, well, actually, no, he hasn't. I'm talking about twice. Because he's had his brain wiped, he is a different person from that point onwards. Yeah, well, this is... I I think this... I mean, this could be such an interesting thing mm. uh, about the show if I felt it was tied and interlaced throughout the show more than it was. But but yes, I mean, you're quite right in what I'm, what I'm driving at, right? Is that there seems to be, like, some kind of... They seem to be positing that Okay, for instance, Nana, she raised those kids. That happened in like empirical reality, like those events occurred. But they might as well not have to her mm-hmm. because they're wiped from her mental space. And yet, despite them being wiped, she still feels some kind of like because those events happened in the physical world, because of the kinetic, if you will, or or bodily or physical nature of them, maybe even the molecular history of what happened, like those, that connection lives on. And I think, you know, again, that could just be real, a really interesting thing to explore. It's almost a kind of mystical sort of thing. But like, again, I think in the context of the show as a whole, it's like, whatever. (laughs) Uh, sure. I mean, and and maybe this is something they're pushing related to, you know, having the baby. Like, bodied existence is superior because families, because babies. Mm-hmm. And granted, that's, those are, that's not, I do think those are nice things about having a body. I like that stuff, but mm. I don't know. I'm just underwhelmed and unsatisfied by... By the fact that it seems to just be like appearing in the last handful of episodes and doesn't relate to what's come before. But we can move on. I'm obsessing about a single point. <laughs> Let's move on to <sighs> obsessing about other points. <laughs> yeah. So you touched on the Ichigo and Goro scene. Oh. Where but, they, uh... they have a chat with Hiro uh, before the battle. And, you know, Hiro, or sorry, Goro. Who's being played by the new voice actor, by the way. That's and I right. noticed he got a, a ton of fucking lines this episode. <laughs> um, and he apologizes for hitting Hero, mm-hmm. which is some hot garbage. And Ichigo has thrown her entire support behind, you know, this getting zero two thing. And then Alpha 9 is climbing out of his robot and sees them all talking and thinking to himself, ah... This is human friendship. I see it now. Yeah. All has been revealed to me. Yeah. Okay, where do I begin with this? All right. In the absolutest sense, in the most absolute sense, I think it's probably fair to say that Goro should have not punched Hero. Because, you know, we want to, you know, in the ideal world, we wouldn't be violent towards each other. We wouldn't express our displeasure or our distaste towards other people's actions by, you know, decking them in the jaw. But the problem is, is the way this is framed and the way this is discussed is not 
about the actual violence itself being the problem. Like, Ichigo, for example, doesn't chime in and say, like, Goro, you shouldn't have punched him in the face, but at the same time, Hero, you did kind of have it coming. Or, you know, you are still in the wrong for how you've acted. It hand waves and undoes all of the, you know, all the stuff that happened in the previous episode where Goro went off, rightly, I would say, on Hero's behaviour. It's not about the act itself. It's about the meaning behind it being, you know, undone. And mm-hmm, mm-hmm. how much more evidence does this show want to offer that it will not... Like, that rant, I've, I mean, of, of many rants I've been on, about the show putting Hero on a pedestal, treating him as holier than thou, cannot do any wrong, despite the fact that his behaviour is very much, you know, in the vein of being an absolute prick. Like... I'm sorry, but I've already made my point on this and the show just keeps giving me this free ammo. How can people look at this fucking character and think to themselves that this isn't a completely ludicrous fantasy that people would act this way? If I acted the way Hero had, like, if I had a loved one, you know, who was, you know, in a hospital somewhere, dare I say, you know, in a coma, or, you know, on death's door, and made it all about myself, you want to know how people would react to me doing that? They would react with disgust. They would react with indignation. They would, you know, call me a twat. They would say that, you know, I don't deserve someone like, you know, anyone by having that behaviour. And Goro did kind of go down that line and then completely rolled it back. Franks again continuing its habit of having drama that actually makes sense and then, you know, undoing it the following episode. Not giving actual human behaviour the consequences and the gravity and the time necessary to fully sink in. I mean, if Goro, you know, had apologised to Hero, let's say, in the closing moments of the final episode, that would have still been bad, but it would have been better. Not as opposed to, you know, the next day. Just... Mm. Just fuck this show, man. Fire into the sun. (laughs) This just in. Uh, Update. We'll, We'll see who bothered to listen to this point people are making comments about what i said earlier uh the titles of episode 6 and 23 despite both being darling and the franks when translated into english by crunchyroll uh, are spelled slightly differently in japanese there you go uh-huh. i don't know what it means but uh apparently you can write you know you can write characters that sound the same differently and alter means anyway I agree with everything you just said, uh, 100%. And then there's a Verm Blast, and shit is going down. Big battle, very visually uh, similar to the Buster stuff of Gynax. I heard a ding noise in my head then when you said the Buster stuff, because the more, mm. like, every time that we're going to bring this up from this point onwards, I just feel like we should have a counter in the bottom left. Because boy howdy, are we going to be talking about Gunbuster and Diebuster a fair bit in this episode. Yeah, so Hero sees the Apas. Wasn't it called Strelissia Apath? It was, it used to be called Apath, and which I thought that was a reference to like Apotheosis or something, but like, but now it's being spelled Apis. Uh, Apiscape. Last name, (laughs) Cape. Apis, Cape. The Magnum Apis. Ladies and gentlemen, I'm here all night. Woo! Uh, 
Apis operandi. <laughs> okay, so yeah, so he sees Zero Two's robot, and where her her, her soul is hanging out, like uh, like Alphonse's soul in the suit of armor from Full Metal Alchemist, and he sort of just you know flies there right away, reckless abandon. Uh, Alpha Nine's life be damned, and uh, battles happening, blasting, space shooting, pew, the pew pews. Pew. Uh, the nine saves Zorme and Miku, and uh, let's not forget uh, firing a trident along with Ikano is Futoshi in space. <laughs> so he's there doing stuff, and then the Verm block hero from getting where he needs to go to his to his lady soul. In the most amazingly stupid way possible because we get a later shot of this barricade, this blockade they set up, and it's just a two-dimensional flat plane. He could have flown around it. <laughs> it's like the well he was he was on like the like the Gradius screen. Like he could only go up so far. So he's gotta go through. Uh, it's like that it's like the ending uh, missions of Wonderful 101. Man, when are we gonna get an, when are we gonna get an anime of that? That was that would be so good. I need to play that game. I've heard nothing but good things. So then we're to like one of the worst, like in terms of me feeling anything, moments of self sacrifice that I can remember in recent anime history. Also completely unnecessary. Yes. Like I was so apathetic to it. Because these characters don't matter at this point. I've the shows give me no incentive to give half a shit. Uh, mm-hmm. And so, tell Zero too high for me. Yep. Alpha 9, Explode. you know, blows up his Franks in the face of a Verm soldier for no real reason, to be honest. He threw Hero into the big Strelizia. There's no reason for him not to come with him, though, to be honest, because, like, okay, maybe he couldn't have, you know, parked his Franks somewhere, but, like, it's just such an utterly pointless thing. Like, if you think, you know, with how many Verm soldiers are out there, taking out that one with himself destructing his Franks is pointless. And and there's a line that he says uh, to Hero, which is, you guys taught me about humanity. And... <laughs> Off screen. Like, yeah, it might be nice to see that. And on top of that, like, you're saying this to uh, this fucking prick? <laughs> you taught me about humanity. Inherently selfish, unrealistic. <laughs> Maybe it's not inaccurate, I don't know. <laughs> Maybe that's why he's like, oh, I ain't fucking fine for these chumps anymore. <laughs> sod, the, sod the lot of him. <sighs> yeah. Uh, meanwhile, on Earth, there's a storm. And Zero Two bleeds. I'm uh, not sure if it's because, like, Hero entering the robot, or Alpha 9 blowing up, or just the battle. And then Hero makes his way into the inner chamber of the cockpit, and Zero Two, her spirit manifests as uh, a bunch of battery jumper cables. And then he grabs them and says, Please eat me. And then, of course, we just cut to credits as he gets devoured. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's just like the noise of, like, you know, when uh, that one of the guys gets eaten by a T-Rex in Jurassic Park and it just cuts to the closing <laughs> music. <laughs> bad ending. <laughs> I wish. Yes, you've chosen the bad end. Well, he dies, so it's good. That's a good for us. Uh, and he he joins the picture book 
you know, it's fitting that he goes into the picture book because that's the last thing I remember Zero Two eating. So joins joins that in the digestive tract. Yeah. Oh, this this scene was this scene was amazing because it's such a di- it's such like a microcosm of the show's problems in that this all looks fantastic and the voice mm-hmm. actors like say what you will about heroes characters but his voice actor is fine zero two's voice actor is fine as well yeah they're all good but the script continues to be bollocks so okay why is zero two here you might ask yourself why is she you know her soul still stuck here and my original thought was well it's something to do with the way the star NC works it's not by choice basically but it turns out it is. What the fuck, man? I can't be Why with you. Why do they do this? It's such poop. <laughs> I can't be with you, she says. And Hero, for once having a you know a coherent thought in his head, asks why. And she says, I can't. Now, okay, I would not be averse again to this plot development if there had been any real build-ups to it. And there was one scene that I can think of post episode 15 that kind of does this and that is the ptsd you know drag me to hell scene in i think it was episode 16 was it or 17 one of those you know where zero two recalls you know all the people she's devoured oh yeah man they never fucking did anything with that did they wow i forgot about that speaking of things they've not done anything with do you remember when niku had her gray hairs in that episode oh <laughs> yes Another thing that's not been answered. So, yeah, that's an boy plotline. So, okay, I wouldn't be adverse to this idea because that's been the central question that Zero Two has faced throughout pretty much the entirety of the show. Am I human or are we dancer? No, wait, sorry, wrong thing. <laughs> <laughs> no. That's a good... Thank you. I appreciate all the killer's references. Because <laughs> I'm just Mr. Brightside. Hero doesn't oh, look a thing good. like Jesus. <laughs> Thank God. But he for talks that. like no, he doesn't even talk like a gentleman. It all fits. It literally all fits, folks. But that's it. We've cracked dog in the Franks. It can be <laughs> explained through killer's lyrics. Thank you all very much and a very good night. No okay. <laughs> okay. Like, I wouldn't be adverse to this thing, you know, happening if it had been properly developed. But it's not. Much the same as everything else has. Like it feels like they've got a load of different plates spinning here. And rather than focusing on spinning two or three, they've got like 20 and well inevitably it all comes crashing down <sighs> just i can't like that's that's not drama like if you want to actually have drama about it, there needs to be actual discussion you know why does she feel this way like clearly in this you know dream world and she's identifying as a younger self again so okay how about we you know elaborate on that a bit what why is she identifying as a younger self they already did this this is my main problem with this. It just feels like a, it, just a total rehash of the drama that's come before. I, they moved past this. What, of Hero getting into a Franks to save his girlfriend who's been locked into it and is currently on autopilot? You mean the plot from episode 15? <laughs> it's the exact same thing! <laughs> well, that's, yes, and like, physically you're absolutely right. That's, those, event-wise it's the same. But just the emotional development of her... You know, yeah, just pushing him away and then him saying, no, like, I love you. I don't care if you're human or dancer. And then her being like, (laughs) okay, cool. And then they're together like, we did that already. Why did they make it where she chose to push him away again but to keep him human? Like, that's, 
that just rings so false to me. It just is like, I had a, I don't want to equate these two shows because I think Yuri on Ice is far superior to the show in every way. But it's a world apart. I mean, I, I felt myself getting frustrated for not dissimilar reasons at the end because I felt like, you know, to, to pad out the length of the show, there was like an artificial pushing apart of Victor and Yuri again so they could kind of retread the same beats of coming together because I felt like in episode like eight ish, like, yes, they have arrived, but oh no, we have more episodes. So let's create some drama now. So I didn't, yeah, people will be very angry at me, I'm sure for that take, but I I love the show. Um, but I, yeah, I have misgivings about some of that, but anyway, yeah, I mean, I just, the same is true here. I mean, just why are they, why are they doing this again? It felt like a retread. Well, here's the thing, right? When you write something, typically, I mean, I, I will be fair, I know they did this on, you know, pen and paper here, but if you're ever using a keyboard, you know, you've got your whole set of keys, and as far as I'm concerned, the writers of the Franks only know three keys, which they use in two combinations, which is control in C and control in V. <laughs> Copy and paste. And if you think I'm joking, if you think I'm wrong, immediate next scene, Doc, do you want to tell the folks at home or... Like, if you want to buckle up for this one, because I could not believe it when this happened. <laughs> okay, there's some. I have some more stuff leading up to it. I think so. Go. Oh, we're gonna need some like, time. Yeah. So I think, I once again, I feel like parts of this could have been really cool, like uh, former enemies teaming up to fight a giant invader, like the Nines, the Parasites, and the Quaxosaurs. Because uh, there's a scene where the Nines are helping people, and they're like, start singing Bon Jovi, Blaze of Glory. Do you want to go out in a Blaze of Glory? No, no, no. Queen, the princess of the universe. <laughs> yeah, okay. That's, yes, I like that better. And then I'm like, man, that could have been a cool moment if I cared. And Nana helps Hachi, and Hachi's like, allow me to also die and make Subtle Doctor more wrong, and so the show will kill more characters. And she's like, no. I want him to be more right. I will take you. And then they walk to the next room. And we have some Verm stuff, some talking, and we already kind of touched on this. And you have Nana. Uh, again, I think this speaks to what I was saying earlier. Uh, Nana and Hachi are saying, like, look, uh, the children have chosen this path. No, by which they mean heroes chosen this path. Yes, exactly. Exactly. This fighting the aliens here now in space. But I think largely the kids would not have wanted to assimilate into Verm. So I think he's probably right on that, technically speaking. You know, they've chosen this path of, like, leading lives as individuals rather than an imperfect, you know, being, these mind-body beings or whatever, versus assimilating into the psychic blob. And, uh, you know, Nana talks about, like, um... I don't remember how she says it exactly, but she's basically says something akin to like, you know, they, their lives are like, they're choosing to live as like, like a bright shining flame. Like that's like increasing in size. They're, they're flourishing. Their lives are shining individually as opposed to being part of like the placid tranquillo uh, utopic dream of adults that just want to go to sleep. Uh, yes. And then we have Kokoro cut back to Earth 
where it's raining like hell. Uh, and Mitsu saying, no, like, Kokoro, get out of the rain, you'll catch cold. And Kokoro wants to protect Zero Two because she feels listless and without a purpose. Uh, and all she can do now, she can't fight. So she wants to at least protect Zero Two because Zero Two has something to live for. And then Mitsu says, no, no, don't say those words, Waifu Chan. <laughs> I will not tolerate you saying you don't have anything to live for because if you don't, I don't because you're my reason to live. And uh, they both reveal that they still have the rings. And I think this is probably the the biggest example that you can you know underline with your red Sharpie here that the show is saying like, here's this connection that doesn't depend on the memories that these kids have that you can't reduce humanity human existence uh what's good about it to the mental because these kids love each other something about the connection they made transcends the fact that you know they don't remember it oh the wedding that they did on a dime yeah so like because i mean you you could you you could say you know if you woke up tomorrow and you didn't remember anything and someone said you know, here's this lady, she has your unborn child. I mean, you'd feel like you were in your rights to be like, look, sorry, but no thanks. Yeah. Because it holds no meaning for you. You don't remember it. But like, you know, the show is actually saying that despite not remembering it, whether you like it or not, there's there's a connection. And they do imply that there's moral responsibility there. But I think the more important thing and the more interesting thing is that like that there's a kind of love connection or relationship, whether it's Nana to the kids or Kokoro and Mitsu uh, or even Hiro and Mitsuru. You could unpack in that way, but, but yeah. Uh, and that's the last kind of time that it touches on that. So we can move on from that. I've already talked people to death about this. Um, I did appreciate Janista being the giant scarecrow on this completely inviolable field of props. <laughs> it was really good. That was good. I also liked the fact that, like, while the two of them were saying, you know, Kokoro, Mitsuru, and crying, like, ugly crying in each other's arms, like, it cut to the new Nana just standing there watching. I'm like, you were awkward as fuck. <laughs> what is this? What's going on? <laughs> like, also, I do appreciate how not one of the kids has invented a parasol, like, an umbrella. They had shovels and shit. Yeah. <laughs> no umbrella. No umbrellas, no. I mean, I understand, like, you know, that Kokoro doesn't have the book anymore, but you would think at least common sense if she knew she was pregnant would say, I probably should be getting wet, because then I'll, you know, catch a cold or something. But, eh, I mean, why they haven't actually dragged Zero Two back inside is beyond me either, but whatever. I mean, it's not going to, as we'll learn soon enough, what actually happens to Zero Two on Earth is... <sighs> yeah, so when, when Hero gets eaten, and then they hug in her... St- stomach her soul stomach then the body turns black like what does it like melt away i thought it turns a stone okay okay i couldn't maybe i just looked i don't know yeah i felt i was like okay it looks like it's becoming a statue so let me get this straight actually just because you brought up your ideas there you know about what the kids are doing versus you know the group think idea of verm 
So you mean to tell me that Zero Two's soul is now permanently trapped inside um, Strelizia Apis, you know, at the behest of someone else forming this list? So it's basically the same thing as Verm, just on a smaller scale with less it's people. A mixed message. <laughs> nice. Well done, Dalian yeah. Franks. Congratulations, you fucks it up again. No, well, she has a... She has a body. It's just a giant mechanical one. Because, hello, Buster. Die, Buster! Die, Buster! God. Just totally ripped off the, uh... All the... The visuals. And the idea right there of Die, Buster. I... Strelizia Apis becomes, like, the body of it becomes Zero Two's body. Yep. Uh, with a wedding veil, no less. This, this is this is the long, convoluted answer to the question I asked way back when, which is why aren't Hero and Zero Two getting married? Although actually, they could have still got married, and this could have been their sex. Who the f- mm-hmm. who the fuck knows? Um, but yes, like when this happened, my eyes rolled so hard, I had to pause the video because they had fallen out of my head. I had to scramble on the floor <laughs> to find them and put them back in. I had this half spoiled for me, so I didn't react quite as strongly. I mean, no one, I didn't know exactly what was going to happen, but the talk around it and the talk of Buster references made me sort of half prepared for for something like this. Yep. Okay, so I'm not adverse to homages in general. I mean, we've already had a few in Frank's runtime, like with um, the one that happened in episode 19 with, you know, Karina's death um, in the Ava... I almost said Ava Test Lab then, but I actually meant Frank's Test Lab. Oops. <laughs> Silly. Thing. Yeah, practically. But, like, there's a difference between homage and there's a difference between photocopying because this is practically the same thing as Nonary's, like, you know... Yeah, there's an homage and then there's what Bethesda will sue you for. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> I mean, this is the show is very buggy, admittedly, so that doesn't surprise me. <laughs> the same, yep. Yeah. It's in the code. Todd Howard doing this... Oh, fuck. <laughs> Diebuster uh, exercised the bug before release. Thank God for that. Not Franks. So, in case you're curious, though, like, the problem as well with, like, you know, copying something so blatantly is that it reminds you of the products it was copied from pretty heavily. And uh, to go back to what you and I said uh, yeah. uh, when we discussed Gunbuster and Diebuster way back when, I thought Gunbuster was pretty good. I thought Diebuster was good, but not great. I... It was all right. I likes it. Yeah, you're you're allowed to be wrong. This is a we we live in a free world. Unless your name is Nishigori, Largely. in which case you're not allowed to be wrong because you keep producing <laughs> shitty fucking shows like this. God's sake, Nishigori, stop! Are you an addict? Are you addicted to making up complete bollocks on the fly, man? All right, okay. But here's the thing, right? No, Takayashi. <laughs> so in Die Buster, like I at least you know in hindsight completely get. And actually really appreciate the fact that, you know, in the end, all the power in the world, you know, that Nonary has is not enough. It's about working together, you know, coming together as a pair to solve a problem. Sounds familiar? It should. But the problem is, is that, again, hmm. this is a pairing which is based on some of the most toxic nonsense ever. <laughs> I mean, Hero gets to still be human while... Like zero two now becomes a gigantic wedding, you know, bride's, you know, fucking super weapon. Like, what does this mean for her after this war is over? Like, her body's gone, you know. Um, it will continue to float around in space. Yeah, together. And so, 
Like, it just made me think, why am I just not watching the ending of Die Buster? Uh-huh. Yeah, I, if you're so much worse than what you're paying tribute to, yeah. Yeah, like, that's the thing. So, yeah, that happens, annoyingly. Mm-hmm. Then there's a warp gate. Oh, what the f- Okay, I'll bite. The Klaxosaur has opened it, <laughs> not the Verm. I'll bite. When did they build, like, how and why and when did they build this? Because by all accounts from Sarah Kerrigan's flashback and and her narration, like, the Klaxosaurs only drove Verm off the planet. They didn't go chasing after them. How the, how also does Zero Two yeah. or Hero well, know is... that the warp gate's going to take them to the Verm fleet slash homeworld slash state, whatever? I don't think that they know. I mean, that's what we're assuming, but the reasons they gave for going into it were dumb. They were like, well, the technology is being activated by the star entity here. So, and it's going to close. So, so I guess we got to do it. That's what I heard. I didn't even know they'd be, I, I didn't catch that they knew they were going to the Verm homeworld. Did they say that outright? Yeah, they, they said they wanted to go and end the war. Oh, right. That's right. They did say they were, yeah. Okay. Fair enough. Well, so yeah. So Zero Two, for whatever reason, has inherited a bunch of Klaxos sapien knowledge. I have no idea why being, being connected to this Maybe Kerrigan put it in there. She did receive Kerrigan's spirit, so that might be it. Yeah, well, so my thing is, like, I'd be cool with this if, like, Sarah Kerrigan didn't even know about it, you know, because she's a single Klaxosapien. There Mm. have been many more and older than her. Maybe they set it up. You know, maybe they've been warning with the Vern for a long time, but uh, it's just been so long that some of it has been forgotten and Sarah didn't know. But if she if she's getting all this information from the spirit of Sarah Kerrigan, you just like, why did you withhold all this information from us before? That's a question. <laughs> because it hadn't been written in the story script in the uh, in the scripts. Yeah, yeah. So okay, yes, indeed. Hero and Zero Two are going to go through the blob gate to wherever, finish off firm somehow, and everyone's very sad about this. Like. Ichigo's, like, Delphinium is actually, like, crying. <laughs> like, there's a little tear yeah. around the one eye. Promise me you'll live. One thing I'll note again, because, uh, by God, at least the, sh- the show's consistent with this, and I fucking hate it. It's not about Zero Two going. They're all, like, sad about Hero going. Oh my God, you're so right. Yeah. Like, how many, like, how many times in the show do we have to have, like, you know, Zero Two do the big thing necessary to, to win the day? Like, she's the one whose soul actually left her fucking body and then, you know, went up into space in this fucking, you know, Emerald Weapon ripoff. So, <laughs> but no. The, uh, the Ultima, the Ultima yeah, Weapon. Yeah, and on top of that, I mean, okay, I'll be fair that the characters don't know that her body is, you know, turned into so much dust and stone. But you could at least look at it and think to yourself, like, wow, she's doing something incredible. Or, I'll concede, they're both doing something incredible. We want you both to come back. But no. Yeah, it's like it's like James was talking about. Like they all seem to be talking and addressing Hero and not speaking to Zero Two so much. Like I guess Ichigo or, or um, Zero Two takes Ichigo to be because she's crying and says, "Oh, you know, you're you're so bossy. You've always been so bossy." But like, yeah, the the whole crew seems to be like, you know, Hero, you speak for both of you guys. You know, you met up with Zero Two. Why aren't you guys coming back? I mean, they do mention her, but like, but yeah, it's it's weird, man. It it's all it struck me as 
I'm glad he verbalized it last week in the way he did because th- that dynamic has always struck me as super weird. Don't enjoy it. No, I don't either. I mean, honestly, if you just like Zero Two at this point has just become a MacGuffin. Like I said before, that her character is evaporated, and I stand by that. She's she doesn't exist anymore. It feels like yeah. I mean, and them not addressing her. And talking about her wants and stuff like that. Like, Zero Two, why don't you come back? Or what do you think, Zero Two? Like, it's almost like she's the object and you have to address Hero, the one in control, the decision maker, the the subject, the one yeah. who speaks for both of them. It it may seem like a small thing, but when it's happened throughout basically the whole show, it just, just drives me mad. It makes me remember, like, God, I remember when Zero Two was so cool. Like when she was doing flips and taking out guards, or when she was like, kind of bullying Ichigo on the island and throwing throwing laundry everywhere. Yes, throwing you know, clothes off the roof when she Bam. felt like her own person. Like man, I just yeah. So this is a good transition because this is I feel a metaphor for, or not a metaphor, but this is just a, an encapsulation of what I feel at the whole show. Like such a waste of potential and anger inducing as we get closer to the finale because it's been such a waste of my time i mean it truly has amounted to basically nothing uh in terms of entertainment message like all that stuff and it, but as you know james said that there will be people that benefit from having worked on this property you know that visually speaking and and things like that and even some of the directors and writers for certain episodes but me, the fan, the audience member, I mean, this we'll probably get into this more next week when we talk about the show as a whole. We can finally speak on the whole thing. But boy, it really just has felt like just a giant nothing. Like, why? Why did I watch this? What was the point? Mm-hmm. It gave me nothing except frustration. Well, the reason it gave you nothing, Doc, because you and I are not the target audience. And when I say that, uh, that doesn't mean, you know, that I can't enjoy shows that are not intended for people, you know, of my demographic. But, like I said before, the way this show is constructed, the way it so consistently does this, I- I'm sorry to bang on about this, but at this point, it's so crystal. It's so clear. Like, you can... I'm not going to be disparaging of people who've said, you know, like, about, you know, the whole... The, you know, the bad optics, like, you know, of the, you know, qu- the queer villains, like, you know, in the with the nines, etc. And the way it frames its gender politics... I mean, I can't speak for those groups. I'm not going to pretend I can. But for me, the most clear and present thing this show has done, especially in late the latest episodes, is it's just gone to show that, you know what? Like I said before, you can be nobody. You can be a nothing. You can be a person who's cruel and calloused. And the world itself will just bend to your, you know, bend to suit your whims. Like, it will just, you know, bend over backwards. People will go out of their way even when they challenge you just to walk it back. And you know what? Like like I said, it's not art. Well, I think it's bad art. I mean, something can be art and still be bad. <laughs> it's so, uh, to me though, it's so, like, so persistently constructed to put Hero beyond the realm of us mortals. Like, you know, cannot do any wrong despite his behavior being wrong. Mm-hmm. And again, that's not in the way that Zero Two's behavior was wrong, where she was, you know, challenged on it consistently and there was context why her behavior happened i have nothing for that here he's still acting like a prick (laughs) and people are still venerating him yeah 
I mean, the, the anime is, you know, I've said this many times, synthesis of art and product, uh, like most contemporary media. Um, and there may be some people that are really passionate about this project and they really are putting love into it. But like the whole, the end result of the thing, it, it just feels like, you know, to your point is leaning so heavily toward the product uh, side of things of the, of the axis. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, they're going to, well, they go through the gate and that's kind of it, I guess for this episode. That's it. I know, by the way, we said we're going to do predictions, but I'm just going to throw out one very quick one. Time dilation. I mean, I feel like they could repeat the Die Buster ending. Oh, they, of course they are. just going to make uh, me so mad. Of course they are. But why else have Mitsuru and Kokoro's baby if we are going to then see that baby grown up and, like, you know, walking around or some shit when it's, like, five? Uh, yeah. I mean, well, <laughs> if it's if it's only Mitsuru Koko's baby, then that'll be, I guess, okay. But I was thinking it would be like some distant ancestor. <laughs> oh my god! And they have statues built to fucking hero. Of course they do. And then they and then they come back. They flatten and they appear in the atmosphere again. And the welcome home lights and shit. If that happen, oh, if that happens, I'm just gonna turn the episode off as soon as it happens. I'm not even gonna watch the rest of it. It'll just be <laughs> off. I might, I might join you. It will infuriate me. I wouldn't put it past this show, but. But I just, and you never know. They could go for their own original brand of bullshit. Oh, they have been. They've, they've at least been very consistent on that throughout the show's run thus far. Yeah. Okay. So you were saying about racing, so let's see. Yeah. Right. I am going to give Darling in the Franks, episode 23, Darling in the Franks, section 9, article 10, sentence 5. I'm going to give it... You know, I want to give it zero, but I'm not going to because it's, this episode was not worse than 17. 17 was still the pits of this mm. show. I feel so annoyed and angry and just tired of dealing with this show. <laughs> like, yep. every time I see something happen where they just can't even keep the basics right. Like, a show to me, like, you know, that is so bad at handling its messaging and its politics, like, those, that to me feels more difficult. It feels more challenging from the perspective of a writer to get that right. Because you're balancing a lot of stuff there. You're juggling a lot of balls. But simply stuff like, you know, just the hand-waving away of, like, how the Franks can fly into space. Like, this is some of the laziest writing I have ever seen. And they didn't even need to mention any of it. They could have just hand... They just ignored it. And I'd have been fine with it. So, I will, in the end, give this episode one and a quarter... Space Wedding Veils out of five. One the quarter. The second worst okay. in the show's run. Because it's just the culmination of everything that I hate about this show. Everything I hate about its lead character. Mm -hmm. Everything I hate about how it treats its lead female character. Everything I despise about how the other characters, you know, treat the fucking lead as if though he's the messiah. For when in none it's not deserved. And all of the shitty fucking writing, the waste of people's, you know animation talents, musical talents, directional talents, the every single person who's working on this who's not actually putting pen to paper. This show is, I mean, at least with like, you know, stuff like Elf and Lead and Phantom, they were just, you know, they were they were holistic failures. They were lazily made productions <laughs> all around. Like, Mouse, the worst oh. thing I've ever seen, you know, was just a really badly animated piece of shit. 
I miss those days. I miss those days because, like, you know, I couldn't feel bad about people who are genuinely working hard. I mean, you brought up before, like, you know, that Goro's got a new voice actor because, of course, uh, Umehara-san is still sick. And I will give credit to his new voice actor, um, and we'll get his name, actually. Daiki Hamano. Um, Hamano-san does an excellent job, and Lord knows what it must have been like to have him drafted in at the, you know, the 11th hour. What it must have been like for him, like, you know, okay, fine, I'll, I'll do it. But he does a good job as Goro. Mm-hmm. He handles it really well. All the voice actors are fine. Like, even characters I hate, I will never, you know... I mean, Lord knows we had that shit with fucking episode 14 and people, you know, throwing shit the way of each goes by such, I, I believe. And also the writers. But, like, you know, everyone who's not actually scripting this show is doing their best. And even when they fail or fuck up, like, with some of the sloppier animation moments or, you know, just, like, like you know, uninteresting direction, it's at least passable. It's never truly terrible. Yeah. And that, to me, is one of the most galling things about watching this show, in that it feels like such a great amount of effort expended on so little by people who deserve better. That's the thing that upsets me probably as much as anything else in the actual show itself. So, we have only one more episode, thankfully. Uh, I am going to give it a little teensy-weensy bit higher than you. I'm going to give it one and a half stars uh, for allowing me to think about uh, something philosophically interesting yeah uh, but that's it the rest of, they get no stars for anything else because otherwise what a what a big waste of my time that's all i have to say i have to fuck that next episode oh well oh depending on what they do just be so upset <laughs> and it's man i that might actually be better uh me getting super duper upset like because you know, Phantom, Elfin Lead, Mouse at all. Uh, you know, you could be you could be mad at them because they were so aggressively shitty and holistically shitty, and uh, there was fun to be had in being angry at them. And while I've had fun talking with you about it and hashing it out, the experience of the thing itself and how it makes me feel it's just by the end like you said i'm just tired i just feel empty and so apathetic and it's just not fun no at all in fact um i was going to save this kind of uh and i'll probably still bring it up in episode 24 just for the long term thing but i have to say as well that there's been plenty of other tragic stuff about this show that just makes it you know a miserable thing to think about you know the fucking gatekeeping shit that happened around episode eight. Do you remember us discussing that? Oh, because uh, Kim K. Oh, yeah, a lifetime ago. Yes. Yeah, that that shit. You know, the people... one you brought up before episode fourteen. Yeah, that Umihara San becoming ill. Now, I'm not saying the show did that, so I'm not that daft. But I'm just saying, Putting like, you them know, in a bird cage. Yeah. <laughs> There's that. You know. All the hard work that people have put into making this show and bringing to like the vision of someone who is just frankly a hack. That's the, that's what upsets me so much. Like, this probably will not end up being the worst show I've ever seen. It's certainly not as bad as Mouse, although it is also infinitely longer than Mouse, so that's one point <laughs> against it. But, yeah. but I really, <laughs> I really have to say, like, it's going to be one of the most depressing and saddening things to think about. In fact, like, <laughs> like after the facts. It just makes it. Sorry. It is. It's sad. I have to laugh or I'll cry because it is just 
extremely depressing. Yeah. <sighs> but anyway, on the plus side, it's near. We're nearly there. We're oh nearly my there. God, so close. We have one more episode to go, folks, and <sighs> I am very pleased to announce that possibly for the sake of our own sanity, and possibly because again we like to bring others down with us, we have not one but two people joining us for the finale. You may recognize them. Mm. We have Emily Rand and James Beckett returning to the mics to join us for Darling in the Finale. And... <laughs> yeah, two returning champs in a fatal four-way. Yeah, I mean, let's just... I'll close out by saying this. Franks24 is going to be the final boss of the JRPG, and we have assembled a very strong four-man party to fight it. Yes. Bring it on, I say. Come at me, Franks. What more could you possibly do? I am ready. We had to, we rolled some good gacha at the recruitment uh, screen. Got a couple of uh, five star champions. Yes, yes, yes. We've got all the end game gearing. We've grinded. We've leveled up. We're ready. So, as always, folks, thank you all so very much for joining us on Stream of Thought. Probably, mm-hmm. I I know some people are probably as tired of this show as we are, and believe us, like believe me, believe Doc. When season three of Stream of Thought comes around, I will. It'll be a breath of fresh air for us all. I I am so excited to be doing something different and talking about a you know a property that I feel like uh, will have this baseline of quality because the source material is so highly regarded. I had faith in Trigger to do this original thing had no idea what was coming and paid the price for that but i think banana fish will be will be better yeah it'll be better in fact i'll say like you know even after everything that's happened with franks if trigger or when trigger rather do another work i'll still be on board for giving it a try because yeah like the this is the thing this co-pro was you know always seemed like he had everything working against it and someone working inside of the Copra itself to some undermine just by being terrible at his job. Looking at you, Nishigori. So you know what, right? <laughs> for all the for all the bad things that happen, I will remember the fact that hey, I watched Kill the Kill, and it was pretty damn good. Yeah. And, we, and we had Little Witch it, Academia recently, which I've yep. not seen, but I've heard is good. Yeah, if if Imaishi or Yo Yoshinari are are you know heading up projects, I think there's definitely a reason to be optimistic. But I guess we just can't sort of assume and this is a lesson we learn over and over again that studios like their kind of brand name on something is like a seal of quality Mm -hmm. because it's just not the case (laughs) yeah so i'm up for giving it a go though like yeah i just hope that actually you know what no i was gonna say i hope that you know nishigori just flats out never writes again but i'll be fair maybe you know he will learn from this. Maybe he'll do something better. Everyone is entitled to writing a turkey. Well, on that note, on that poultry note, uh, <laughs> we're gonna we'll sign off. Uh, Shadon, where can folks find you on Twitter if they'd like to argue with you? Uh, if you want to argue with me, you know, you can find me out in the back alley, you know, ready to throw down with some fisticuffs. No, I'm kidding. Um, you can find me at Shaden1010 on Twitter. That's Shaden1010. I'll be in the back, brother. You can find me in the locker room. I'm not hiding from anyone. Oh, yeah. Uh, 
and me and my bad uh, impressions are on Twitter, also at the Subtle Doctor. Um, Your impressions are not bad. I will not stand for this. No, they're bad, but they're that's why they're good. No, they're just good. Uh, <laughs> um, Don't make me come over and get on a fucking plane or like you know start rowing furiously across that fucking ocean <laughs> just so I can shake you by the shoulder and say no. Don't make me shake the stupid eye, you doc. You're good. <laughs> You're good. You're good, uh, man. Well, thank you. Thank you. Uh, if you think Watery Death Show is good, uh, tweet us at Watery Death Show. Email Show at gmail.com. Um, like and subscribe on SoundCloud. There's a YouTube channel, Apple Podcasts uh, subscription to uh, get our episodes uh, that way. We're on, should be on all your major pod catchers. So thank you everyone for joining us. Uh, for Shaden, I am the subtle doctor saying for the last time on a darling in the Franks stream of thought episode, Woo! embrace each other, everyone to the ends of the universe. You lucky Mwah. bastard. I have to deal with this shit next week. Don't you understand? Mm-hmm.